My name is Andy Woodall. I have the privilege of serving here as a pastor of counseling and coach, one of the coaches of groups. Love doing that. Um, many of you I know and coach your different groups or have had that privilege. So thankful that you're here tonight. We do. I just want to echo what Drew said as far as this being a me first and uh, focus. I don't know about you, but when we're talking about that as coaches, I'm like something is internally glitching in me. I'm like, wait a minute, me first, me first. But it does make sense on the pursuing Christ and uh, making that so important. So uh, as far as decision-making and this thing about what to do when you don't know what to do, um, how many of you had trouble picking out which breakout to go to? Okay, so there you go. This one's for you. Um, if you think you didn't have a problem and you leaned over to a, a best friend or a spouse and said, um, which one do you think I should go to? Then that's a good reason why to be to this breakout, too, uh, as you think about it. But so here's a little bit of how this breakout came about. When you think about what are we talking about in the initial thing? Um, are we talking about, do I pick the blue shoes, the red shoes, um, the Toyota, Corolla, or the Chevy Cruze and picking out cars? Or are we talking about other decisions such as vacation? Do we go on one? Do we not? If we do, where do we go? Uh, if we do and we decide where we're going to go, who do we ask to go with us? Uh, is it family? Is it friends? Is it nobody? Um, college, if you're in that mode where you're looking to go to college or career or what, what phase, there are a lot of decisions to make. And you think through life, uh, it could be everything from church. Where do I serve in church? How many places do I serve? Um, do I date? If I do, who do I date? Do I date him? Uh, am I going to marry this person? Am I not? All these decisions that are big decisions and they vary in complexity. So here's a question I've got for you. Um, as we get this started, what are some common or uncommon situations where people don't know what to do? What are some of those? I want to hear from some of you. What, what are some of those? Going out to eat. Yeah, going out to eat. Okay. Where do we go out to eat? Oh, man. Can that cause issues? Well, I, I don't care. Where do, you, where do you want to go? Well, I asked you. Well, okay, we'll just stop right there. Uh, what, what else? Movies. Movies, yeah. What's the choice of movies? Choice of movies. And do you go to the movies, or do you watch it on Netflix? Or do you go to Redbox? Or do you, yeah. Decision. Okay, what else? I heard two college choices. Yeah, that's kind of been going on in our lives for the last few years. We know about that. College choices. You know, where where, where do you go? Christian college, second college, two-year college? What, uh, whose parents' house do you go to for the holidays? Oh, my word. That's a big one. That's worth 30 points, right? Oh, that's, that's like up there. Where to go on the holidays? Whose parents do you go to? Uh, that's big. That's really big. Any others? Yeah. What road are we taking? What road are we taking? Which set of maps are we going to use? We're using Google Maps. We're using what? You know, whose is right? That kind of thing. All right, we're not going to get in the middle of that. Obviously, there's plenty of those things. We could then start to launch into some of the decisions that happen in groups. Okay? Do you? Is your, is your group going to be open to having that person? How do you help that person? What do you do? So there's a lot of decisions to make in groups. Let me, uh, so here's kind of the, the million dollar question. How are you doing at pursuing Christ in those I don't know what to do moments? Because we all encounter them. Some people would say, I encounter those all day long. <laughs> Other people would say, well, I, I just don't encounter many of those. And then you look at it and you say, here are some of them. Let me tell you about one of mine. And I wish it was one of those, hey, this is a holy pursuing Christ moment. 
I wish also that it was an example I could say, oh, this was years ago. <laughs> no, it was like a few weeks ago. Okay, so it's very real in our family. Here it is. I have permission from my wife, so that, that clues you in right away, like there's trouble coming. Um, but a few weeks ago, we were headed home from church nonetheless. So here's the context of it. It's very rare that my wife and I would be riding in the same car home from church, just the way our family and getting here and all that kind of stuff. So we happen to be, and we have a 16-year-old that has his permit but not his license. So it's the three of us. This is a rare moment, too. So we're headed home. Of course, he wants to drive, 16-year-old. So sure, throw him the keys. And in the moment, I am seriously thinking to myself, I do want to show my wife that she's a priority. I love her. I want her. I'm just going to think ahead. I want to lead her and just say, hey, you, you ride in the front. So I'm like, hey, hon. Derek's driving, you go ahead, you ride shotgun. Oh. Okay? So I'm thinking, this is great, this is perfect. I'm loving my wife, I'm making her a priority. We're headed home for church. Here we go, you know. And my wife, just being loving and not thinking anything about it, just wanting to, you know, I find this out later, wanting to serve me, says, hey, that's okay, you ride in the front. So, my... Um, let me make sure I get this right, because I, I wrote it down so that I wouldn't mess it up, okay? My highly trained male internal translator that is radically impacted by sin and sinfulness um, heard this when she said it, because I was seriously thinking all these thoughts of serving my wife. And so when she threw the comment back, I was not ready for it. I'm thinking, man, I'm up until that moment, everything was going very well. I was consider I, I was very sure that the whole universe was on track until this happened. Uh, at, at that moment, I, I'm thinking, here's how I translated it sinfully. Um, I translated, here's what I heard, I don't care that you're trying to serve me and love me. I don't care about your leadership. I don't want to listen to you. I don't, I, I don't want, I, I want to be in control of this situation. And so we get in the car. Oh, wait, it gets worse. No. So, like, remember, my 16-year-old son is driving. So I'm, like, modeling all of this for him in the worst way possible. So I get in the back seat, and a lot of times when something like that happens, I just, I'll be more quiet and I'll think, and sometimes I'll, I'll be praying about it, like, all right, what do I do? Really, seriously, I wrestle with it. This time, I must have been feeling extra spiritual or something because, no, this was coming out. Okay, so I'm in the back seat, and I said a little comment that I wish I could have retracted. It was like a 16-year-old son driving, and I said, honey, why won't you let me leave? Oh, man, I just launched a nuclear bomb. <laughs> and so as soon as it came out of my mouth, I thought, well, I said what I was thinking, but it was not good. And so right now you're thinking, man, Bad choice. We're not going to follow this guy. Um, so now you know how I came up with the title of this, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. Because that was one of those moments of, wow, I'm in serious trouble here, and I, I know some important things that the Bible says, but right now I'm in conflict with this. And, and so as soon as I said it, I knew, like, okay, she's hurt and angry. That wasn't good. I just sinned against my wife. I modeled that for my son. And then I'm also thinking, all right, I'm angry, I'm hurt, because I was really trying to do the right thing, but it went the wrong direction real quick, and I obviously responded wrong. And so 
it was a very interesting situation. So that was my moment in my time. And there's plenty of those. Uh, thankfully, they don't get out of control like that one did often, but they happen. And, and I'm not going to ask for testimonies of you to now say, okay, give me yours. Um, we'll come back to mine, but I do want you to be thinking in your mind of how do I respond in those I don't know what to do moments that's maybe similar to that. Maybe it happens when you're getting in the car. Maybe it happens when you get up in the morning. Maybe it happens at work. Maybe it happens in, in discussions in the evening. Maybe it, it happens in a quiet moment on your own. I don't know, but I, I want you to think of that, and then I want you to take what we're going to talk about and start to utilize that, and hopefully it's going to be a benefit to you. This is the process I went through, and, and it was helpful to me. I think, and so we're going to look at a passage here in a few minutes. Before we do, I want to have you think about some things. So in your notes, page 17 and 18, okay, here's one of the things I think that happens that, that I'm concerned about for me and for others. And in the years of counseling I've had and reading the Bible in my own life, here's one of the, some of the problems I think we have. I think we start with some of the wrong questions. You know, we're immediately thinking, how do I get out of this? What, how, how do we end up being the, the happiest through this? How do I make sure that there's just, I relieve and release the things that are making us uncomfortable? And how do we, how do we get through here without the least damage? Um, is there anything in this for me? How can I save my own skin? And I, I'm not saying those questions aren't necessarily valid. I'm just saying when we start with them, we get ourselves in trouble. So here's one thing right off the bat. Two approaches to life, the Bible, and decisions. These are big picture and I just want to give you a couple words. I realize they're like some big words, but anthropocentric and theo theocentric. I, there, there are ways that we come about studying the Bible and these life decisions and these I don't know what to do moments that many times we start with saying, I'm having a man-centered approach. Like, it's all about me. How do I save my own skin and get through this? As opposed to saying, God needs to be at the center of my life and everything I do and all my decisions and so, therefore, my approach and even the questions I ask initially need to be a whole lot different. They're going to be a lot different if I'm in it to save my own skin or if I'm putting Christ first and, and going about the whole situation with God being at the very center of it. So what does this mean and what does this look like? Uh, one example would be, let's just go with even parent philosophies and, and approaches. You know, if, if you are dealing with parenting and you have a, a child-centered home versus a Christ-centered home, Child-centered home, man, everything's about how do we make this child uh, end up just right? And how do we make the environment, how do we make everything just right for the child? And it, everything rotates around the child. All the decisions are all about the child and keeping the child happy. A, a child-centered home versus a Christ-centered home that says, okay, we're, we're about pursuing Christ and training our child or children to know how to live for Jesus Christ. And so that's in the, the, the child parenting philosophy of things. But if we're focused on God and his word and what he wants, you know, then we're going to have a whole different perspective on this. And so this, I believe, is one of the greatest uh, problems that we have today in Christianity is this whole issue of the questions we ask and our, our approach. Are we starting with a man-centered approach or a God-centered approach? And, and so if we start with a God-centered approach, we're going to be asking questions like, what, what what do we think about God? We're going to be asking questions like, what is he your priority or how do I please him? Is he my motivation? Is he the one that's really guiding me and how do I find that guidance and what do I do? And so we're asking a different set of questions. Now, here's what I want to tell you as we get ready to jump into the, the material. 
There is no simple pat answer, and I think most of you in this room know that. There's no simple pat answer to that, what to do when you don't know what to do moment. It'd be great if you can just hit one of those easy buttons. You know, that was one of the best commercials or things that ever came out with, the easy button. You know, hit the easy button, find it, or find the magic pill, find the silver bullet. Um, that doesn't exist, but God's guidance in a difficult situation does exist. And so that's what we want to get at. Now, here's some things right up front when we think about Psalm 25, 8, and 9. It kind of gives us some criteria, and that's what you've got in your booklet of talking about criteria, um, two criteria for receiving God's guidance. I think it's important for us to look at this. It says, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. So here's two things right up, up front, two criteria. One is, are you a sinner? Ah, good news, we all follow. Um, you know, not because of what we look like, not because of anything. It, it's just, obviously, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God, that's, we, we fit that one. Here's the one that's more difficult. Are you humble? And the second part of that verse really directs us that direction. It says, he guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. That's a key question for us right now in pursuing Christ. Are you humble? Because it does tell us, God's word tells us, he guides the person that's humble. It doesn't mean that he gives them just that simple little answer, but he says he guides them. There's a difference. And, and so that we get to recognize based on the promise of God and looking at this psalm and the psalmist, he knew that, man, God does guide, but it, it's the humble person that he guides. It's yielded him. So that's part of a challenge as we walk into this. Uh, and ask, answering the question, yep, we're sinners. Are we humble? Are you humble? So here's two extremes to avoid before we jump into uh, everything. One is being impulsive. The impulsive person, when people make decisions, here's something that in, in difficult situations come up. Two extremes. One is somebody's just impulsive. They just go after it and run over everything and just don't, don't, you know, so some of the things that happen, this person, uh, there's no process. There's very little thought. People get hurt. They tend to leave a path of destruction, and they, they're just kind of running over people. So we don't want that. And here's some of the things that, you know, okay, so a child's a little out of control, impulsive, going after whatever, just a little fun things, but impulsive, okay? So here's the next one. The other extreme is being indecisive. There's no action. There's too much thought or overthinking. There, people drift. They tend to leave things undone, and people lack direction. So in one, people are destroyed or run over. The other, there's just a, a drifting and a lack of direction. And so, you know, I, I love, here's a good illustration. Look at this. Are you indecisive, mugs? You know, this person just went crazy. I, I think there's like four decisions that took place on the mug. And after that, they're probably going to grab, look for another mug to start over, right? Uh, yes or no, and constantly trying to figure it all out. So those are some of the things that we end up with. We want to avoid the extremes. And, and so let's think of it this way. You know, you have those decisions that you make, and sometimes they're coming up rather frequently. And you may feel like this, or you may feel like this. You know, uh, angry and just confused, and what do you do? So, hey, with the, the time we have left, I want you to look at um, Matthew chapter 14. I, I'll have it up on the screen, so if you want to or if you want to bring it up, either way, I'll have it in the NIV version. Uh, four principles to help you to know what to do when you don't know what to do. And so I'm going to give you some principles. They're going to be a little bit more in concept, and then we'll talk about how to make them very practical. I'm also going to give you a handout 
that you can walk out with that's uh, 10 additional principles that gets very practical in nature. So I, I think the fact that we're going to go with a familiar story helps us also. In Matthew 14, here's what it says. Let me read this and we'll go give the four principles. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him into the other side, onto the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. So basically, he just got done feeding the 5,000, and now he puts the disciples in a boat and says, hey, you're going the other side of the lake. And the Sea of Galilee, that particular lake, it's eight, eight miles across, eight miles width, and 13 miles long. So the disciples are very familiar with this sea, or it's known also as a, a lake or sea. And um, they're familiar with being in a boat. They've also encountered being in a boat with Jesus. So remember, it, it was just a few chapters prior to this where my, Mark was explaining. They were in a boat, Jesus is asleep. He, they wake him up because they all think they're going to die. So this isn't a new scenario to them. Uh, being in a boat, a lot of them are fishermen. They've encountered lots of storms. So, um, you know, again, not new, but that's a little bit of the context. Verse 23. Um, after he had dis- so after he dismissed all, all the people, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. Shortly before... Dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on, the, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, of course Peter's the one speaking up, uh, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. I think a lot of you have heard this story. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked in the water and came toward Jesus. But when he, had saw the, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged uh, begged him to let the sick just touch the edges of his cloak. And all who touched him, all who touched that cloak, were healed. So here's the things I want us to talk about as you look at this passage of Scripture. And... um, so that, that first thing is recognize Jesus is in your situation. Recognize that Jesus is in your situation. You know, <clears throat> for those disciples, it was amazing. They had spent a lot of time with Jesus. They'd seen a lot of things happen. Um, and sure, he yes, he was walking on water. But they had seen him at that point do many things. It's just rather ironic that he shows up at their time of greatest need and they didn't even recognize him. And instead, there was, there was fear going on. And I think a lot of times we zoom in on this little situation with Peter, and I think there's a right place to do that and talk about Peter and focus on him and the fear issue. But when we back up and look, this was one of those situations in life for the disciples in that moment that they they didn't know what to do. It wasn't brand new, but they didn't know exactly what to do in that moment. And Jesus shows up, and, and there's a, a fear part of it. And I think to think about in our situations, and you're, you're in my I-don't-know-what-to-do moments, you know, when I think back to being in the back seat of that little Toyota Corolla, and I said what I said, 
Um, I was not recognizing Jesus in that moment. You know, he was there. And it's, I'm not saying recognize him because he's going to physically show up. I'm saying recognize the fact that he's present with us and, and he's got something to say about the situation and he needs to have an impact on exactly what's happening in that very moment. And, and so to think about it, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, it says, Let us throw off everything, every sin and weight that hinders us and that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So this whole thing about fixing our eyes on Jesus and recognizing him in the moment and not growing weary, I think is huge. Well, here's principle number two. Trust and obey his words over your circumstances. Now, that may seem pretty basic, but the reality is we come into those conflicts, and, man, circumstances take over. And just like the disciples in the boat, they weren't recognizing Jesus and focused on him. They were focused on circumstance. Just like Peter in the moment, he's out there, and he's getting to do something pretty amazing, and Jesus is right in front of him. And even at that, he gets distracted with the wind and the waves and everything else. And, and I think it's a, it is a pretty good indicator to us. We, we very easily do that. I, I do. I don't know about you. But it's one of those things where things get a little crazy and circumstances take over. Instead of me thinking about and trusting the words of Jesus, which he had just, just told him, hey, look, don't be afraid. I'm right here with you. And it's kind of like he, he said, you know, i got to give these guys a really personal, close-up look at this in a one-on-one -on -one with somebody so that they're all going to get it. And so, sure enough, Peter launches out, and he's the one. And so he provides this intimate little moment of, okay, I'm going to make this really real so that all of them will get it. Man, you've got to be trusting his words. And again, he came and he addressed that with Peter. Hey, you've you got, you got to trust me. You're, you're of little faith. Uh, and so it's the trusting the words of the Lord over trusting and obeying those over our circumstances. And, and so First John helps us with that. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Now, in the context, I really believe it's talking of a habitual, ongoing, not following Christ and not doing those words. Not just talking about like one time, okay, you're a liar, not a follower of Christ, da 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 um, but it is talking about this issue of, man, we need to be following the words of Jesus and obeying him as opposed to just doing our thing. And, and one of the points that's underneath there talks about tension facilitates gospel transformation. You know, the, these circumstances and the, the tension that we have, the tension points, anybody that's involved with everything from work to school to um, exercise, anything. You have to have that tension to experience that growth. And so I think a lot of times we get in those tension points and we're figuring out how do we, in the most quick, the quickest way possible, how do we get out of the tension point? And yet that tension is there and designed by God very specifically. As uncomfortable as it may feel, it's designed by God to help get us someplace and, and to help us to become more like Christ. And so we can't expect just to have this gospel transformation without having the tension that goes along with it to help create it. And so that's something I think we get to recognize. Think it through the disciples' lives. 
the greatest moments of learning and the greatest truths that came out of the life of Christ and who he is came out of those tension moments. You know, the tension moments, and many of them, let's face it, was, you know, Peter. <laughs> Peter, don't, you, you're, not, you're not going to the cross. They're not going to crucify you. Um, get behind me, Satan. That's, I'd say it's a high-tension moment, you know. Um, you may have some of those in your group. Hopefully you're not calling people Satan, like, get behind me, Satan. Don't, I wouldn't encourage that. Don't, don't go that route. But Andy said, we need to call you Satan. Um, don't, don't you dare pin that on me. <laughs> I want him as a coach. You know what? He told me to do it. Um, you know, so, so, that's, now, so let's go to the principle number three. Cry out to him for help and direction. Cry out to him. And, and that's what we find um, the disciples... You know, they're in this situation, and they finally realize it's Jesus. And then Peter does make that clear as to what needs to happen. Well, man, crying out to Jesus and being very clear about what the struggle is, being very clear about what you need help with, that's huge. And we have to be about crying out to the Lord and also just being able to model that. It could be a little thing, or it could be something really big. And... So Psalm 50, verse 14 says, um, Sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And the psalmist just emphasizing, wow, we, we need to be about offering to the Lord um, our praise, but we also need to be offering a, a clear cry to him of our condition of our soul. I love Psalm 119. That's my favorite psalm. Um, I will tell you, one of the phrases that you find in there almost a dozen times is the very clear phrase, teach me. And the psalmist is all about in that very psalm, man, teach me. Teach me your ordinances. Teach me your commands. Teach me your statutes. Teach me how to live for you. Teach me how to follow you. And so that's something where um, in, in crying out to the Lord, there has to be an attitude. Again, it goes back to the humility. Teach me. Teach me. And that's an ongoing thing. I absolutely love it when I find somebody that's much older than I am that they have this ongoing teach me attitude. And you just see, man, they're like a sponge. Man, that's what I want to be like. When, I, when I'm six years old, 70 years old, 80 years old, I want to still be looking to the Lord saying, teach me, teach me, teach me. And um, so I, I love that. No, I, I put it in my category of here's where I am. And if I was to say my kids, my kids would say, I'm way old. And so, yeah. Oh, look. There it goes. Man, I tell you, it's a rough crowd. It's time for me to start crying out to the Lord right now. This is one of those, Lord, I don't know what to do. Get me out of it. Yeah. We're Psalm 119. I'm just going to start reading all 176 verses. Here we go. Oh, my. Rough crowd. Okay, so principle number four. I think this is one of the most encouraging principles, one of the most helpful parts of this passage. And I've, I've read it and studied it many times. It's not until the last few years that this has really come to be not only known, but really understood on my part. And that is worship him as creator and savior. And, and that may be like, well, that's a no-brainer. But no, I think the thing that come, makes it really real is when you look at those verses, in, in verse 33, you look at that. I love it because Peter, uh, in, in that very situation, Jesus could have said a lot of things to Peter. And instead, he tells him very clearly, hey, look, um, he, he tells him he, he was there immediately to help him. He confronted his situation of, of fear 
You know, why are you doubting? So he said some hard things, but he didn't say, hey, look, go get in the boat and I'll meet you on the other side. Right? I mean, that's kind of like, you know what? Go to your room. I'll deal with you later. <laughs> he, he could have said a lot of things. And, and I think he knew the context of, man, if he would have just sent him back to that boat, those other 11 guys would have sinfully shredded him. I mean, guys just do that. Like, way to go, Peter. That was, that was a good one. That was really good. You made it at least, what, like five feet? That was good, man. I mean, they just would have shredded. So it could have played out a lot of ways. Um, they would have nicknamed him before he got back in the boat. You know, I don't know what that would have been. But, you know, it would have gotten really ugly really fast. Yeah. I, it just would have been terrible. And the moment would have been lost. But here's what I love. Jesus captured the moment in a pretty amazing, masterful way. He gets back in, he goes back with him, and he gets back in the boat with him. Doesn't say anything else, but just gets back in the boat. And here's what grabs my attention. It says, when they climbed into the boat, so, you know, they climbed back into the, the wind died. So it's still, the wind's still churning. And he walks with them in the wind. They climb in the boat, which indicates it wasn't like they just hopped in the boat. I mean, they, they climbed in the boat. And then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So that situation and that difficulty and that tension and all that had transpired, Jesus didn't just send him back to the boat, didn't just go on. He captured that moment, and, and it turned into a, a moment of worship. One of the ugly, discouraging moments for Peter and, and for all those guys in coming out of fear, he took all the, the swirling, the environment of the swirling and the storm and the swirling and storm that was going on internally. So there's external storm, internal storm going on like crazy. And Jesus walks him back to the boat. They get in the boat. Everything dies down. And it, it was one of those moments where, he, how did they worship? They, they said, all of them at some point somehow just said truly you are the son of God and we don't know exactly how it wasn't like the organ started playing or you know somebody whipped out a guitar but they just how did they worship well they just worship by saying whoa 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 tr you truly are the son of God we can't deny it we can't man we've just been humbled by this whole thing and I don't know about you but that that's that's what it's like and that's the opportunity that we have is to be able to provide and, and help if we respond properly, even when we don't deal properly initially with the I don't know what to do moments. I, I hope that these things give us some guidelines to that, that we are recognizing the Lord. We are trusting his words over our circumstances. We are growing and being able to cry out to the Lord. And then we are growing at them being able to worship the Lord as our creator and savior. And that we're capturing those moments to help others to do the same. And you know, so, so my situation, to come back and kind of wrap up that story, it took me about a day and a half. And I, I knew, it was kind of like one of those, and not to be freaky, but kind of like out-of-body deal, like I'm wrestling. Like I know what I have to do, but I'm not there, but I know, and I'm, I'm walking through these things. Saying, okay, I clearly didn't recognize Jesus in that moment, um, but I need to. And at the same time, what does God say? Well, I know I wasn't supposed to speak to my wife that way. And I know that there were things I was telling myself that were not true. So I had to confess those to the Lord. I had to confess those to my wife. And it wasn't until later in the afternoon that I'm, 
I, I have a discussion with my wife, and I find out, you know, she, she's not thinking anything about all the stuff I was thinking. She was just innocently loving me back, like, hey, you sit in the front, you know, no big deal. You know, so it's kind of funny because <laughs> since then, there was an incident where we were, where were we going? And there was another opportunity like that. And she kind of looked at me, and she's like, so, do you want me to sit in the front or in the back? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, so we had a little laugh about that, and um, I, thankfully we've been married long enough and seeking to please the Lord that God's grace, you know, we can have fun with that. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that could have happened five years into our marriage, but um, I would hope that it would. Maybe I can pretend that maybe it would have. I don't know. I'd like to think it could have. Um, but I'm thankful for God's grace. So here's a few things that are in your notes that just kind of help us with some additional things. And I'm going to go through these quicker, okay? Um, the Colossians, that, that just confirmed, it goes through, I would encourage you to read that and study that, but it's just, man, everything is for Christ. It's in him and by him, through him and for him. And, and so we need to be making sure that he is at the center and we're giving him glory. Here's a couple things about when we decision-making, what to do when you don't know what to do, God's will. We don't have time to dive into this, but here's a couple things. His sovereign will. What does that mean? Well, it means it, it cannot be broken. It always comes to pass. That's the big picture. There's two aspects of God's will. Some people break it into three. I'm going to go with two right now. His sovereign will. His plan, and you can't divert from that plan. A uh, couple passages with that, and one of them is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Secret things belong to the Lord our God, but things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Um, that we may follow all the words of his law. And then his direct, God's direct will or directive will. Directive means what God commands us to do, we can disobey or we can fail to do it. So he gives us directives. Hey, this is my will for your life, but we can choose to obey it or disobey it. So two different aspects of that. So under God's sovereign will and his directive will, directive will, we can choose to disobey. It's not going to divert us from his sovereign will. He still knows and he's in control. Um, I realize we could have a whole long thing about this, but in decision making, it's a part of it that we have to recognize. Is um, There's a few passages, a couple passages here that are mentioned. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I think Ephesians 5.17 helps us a lot. Because it tells us, man, we can understand what the Lord's will is. Some people say, man, you can't figure it out. You can't know it. No, he's telling us we can. And how is that? It's based on understanding his word and seeing what he has to say about his commands. And then there's a lot of freedom. First um, Thessalonians 4 is one of about five, six passages that says this is God's will. It says it is God's will that you should be sanctified or set apart, that you should... And then it goes on to be very specific about not being sexually immoral. And there's other passages like it. So those are God's directive will items. And those are things that I let you know about that in the process of making godly decisions and knowing what to do, those are things that are on us. We have to know and understand God's word better and better to make those correct decisions. So God's glory. How does this fit into it? We need to be doing these things for God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. And we are to do all for the glory of God. And so in these moments of not knowing what to do, we want to make sure that we are putting the Lord first and we're doing this for his glory. And here's the handout that I want to give you. 
I'll, I'll give you when you're right when we're done, or we can start. You know what? We can just start passing these out. We can just take a couple, pass them back. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. This is by Watermark, and I give it to you on there. You can go online and grab it if you want. It's in your notes. Uh, additional practical steps. It talks about such things as like one of the things on there, knowing the, the commands of God, but then it goes into a, the second step on that handout that gets very practical, and that is making sure you have your facts straight in making decisions. That's pretty significant. Like, that would have helped me an awful lot in my situation. If I would have assumed the best and found out. But it says in Proverbs you know, 13, 18, if a man tries to answer a matter before he hears it, totally hears it out, he's considered to be a fool and full of folly. So making sure we have information and it goes through some other practical steps that are helpful that build on this. So here's the thing. Um, I, I love this Psalm 32, verse 8. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the ways that you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. This is one of those things where um, God does assure us over and over in multiple places in his word that he will guide us. He does provide guidance for us. But it is a matter of making sure for us that we are working hard to pursue understanding him and trusting him in this process. And so as walking out of this particular breakout, um, I hope this impacts your whole trimester. And then for you, um, here's the homework. You, you didn't know you are getting homework, but here it is. Okay. Um, select an I-don't-know-what-to-do scenario in your life and apply what we just discussed, those four principles. Walk through it. Seek to honor God and bring glory to God through that situation and, and really work through it. And if you need to find a friend or somebody that's going to keep you accountable, a spouse, somebody that can help walk this process through with you and, and ask those questions with you uh, to to really make sure that you're seeking to honor the Lord and uh, bring him glory in this situation where you could say, okay, I don't know exactly what to do, but I know how to now pursue Christ a little bit better, and I do trust that God's going to guide me through this. And, and as I pursue him, he'll provide that understanding, and it's a process. It is a process. Uh, and so you, you run... Run through these principles in Matthew 14. You've got the additional ones in, in from Watermark on that handout, if that's helpful as well, which I think it will be. You outline your options. You determine what course of action. And, and then for God's glory, you, you follow that and you pursue it. And you seek to bring him glory. And even if there is failure along the way, don't forget, you, you have that opportunity to provide a worshipful experience and help people to understand Jesus as creator and savior, even if things get difficult, and even if it isn't going perfect, which many times, right? Uh, then this is the next step. Pray and look for someone else to help walk through this process. Now, for most of us as community group leaders, that's not too hard. It's kind of like, okay, Lord, can you bring me just one? You know, I, I feel like I have a half dozen that are knocking my door down. I just need one. And so picking that one person, but do this personally first okay you've got some additional resources and then i will leave you with this quote and answer any questions um for just a few minutes and we'll go get that ice cream stuff out there right okay um 
I like A.W. Tozer as an author. He makes me think, he presses me to think differently about God and expand what I know and think about God. A writer of a different time, a pastor and author. And so he put it this way. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So think on that. Meditate on that. I, I think that that's very helpful to us. I think it's it's counter. This is what happens when God is first. It's counter to the way we think most of the time, I think. Um, and, and so it takes a lot to do that. Okay, so my prayer for you guys is that uh, this has been helpful and you can kind of put yourself in place and think through those things and you can be able to recognize Jesus. You can be able to trust his and obey his words over your, your circumstances and then that you'll cry out to him in your, your time of need and be very specific about that and, and then that you'll worship him as creator and savior and that's something that then you'll be able to model and demonstrate for others and how to live. So what questions or comments do you have? Everybody's like, I don't know. I've had a garbage plate, and now it's sitting in me, and now they're telling me there's ice cream out there. So, Nikki. What did your son say when you and Julie were disputing? Oh, I'm so glad you brought back to that. Um, no, my, my son, he knew in that moment to not say anything. Uh, he's like, and he's driving, he's like, oh, he, was con- he was focused on driving like never before. It was a pretty quiet ride home. And um, I will say this, though, and I'm so thankful you brought it up. I, I'm a firm believer in this. What, the degree to which you sin and the degree to which it's known is the degree to which you need to confess. I just think that's biblical. And so when I went to confess to my wife and ask her forgiveness, I did that in front of my son. Because it, uh, I just believe that he, he witnessed the, the destructive disobedience on my part, so he needed to witness the forgiveness, at least the asking of the forgiveness. So um, he was there. I asked my wife's forgiveness and walked through what specifically I was asking forgiveness for. Um, I asked his forgiveness and said, hey, I'm just praying that, that that's that's not, I didn't want to model for you how not to do things. That's a part of life and parenting, but hopefully, by God's grace, you just learn how not to function, and I'll spare you some pain and having to ask forgiveness. So um, so that that's how it went down. Yeah. Yeah. There. Mm-hmm. Driving. Oh, glasses. Okay. Oh, I think that brings an important point, which is um, sometimes when we choose the wrong thing, there's always an opportunity, like you had with your son, to actually model an important behavior, which is forgiveness, which, you know, we're all going to mess up. So yeah. how would you suggest we deal with the tension that comes from having to make a choice and knowing that failure is a possibility Yes, there's God's grace, but sometimes we have to make amends or deal with the consequences. And a lot of times that pressure keeps us from mm-hmm. doing yeah. what we need to do. So how would you suggest we deal with that tension or stress? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and I think the reality is, um, okay, so what are our choices? I mean, one is we ignore it. The other is we blast through it. Um, or the other is we, we ask for God's help and we seek to make the right choice. You know, for some, it's outlining of, hey, here's the pros and cons. Here's what clearly God says about it. Here's the principles. And, and then we, we have to, at some point, make that decision to move forward and, and pray and keep our eyes open and realize that that decision, even with good intentions, may cause some fallout or problems with somebody else. 
and you just be aware of that and you may need to go and ask that person's forgiveness or address that or clearly let them know your intentions and walk through it. Um, I would encourage people to communicate early and often and so that as you communicate, it's something that, you know, they, they at least they could say, well, I knew what he was thinking and why he did it and he communicated that. I may not agree with the decision, but here it is and then you invite people to speak back into that um, and that's the hard part, but that's a part of it. I mean, you know, in leading groups, how many times have you made a decision and tried to say something and lead your group? And for, for 75% of the people, it's great. And then for 25% of the people, they're like, well, why did you do that? That's dumb. What, what, you know, that, that, uh, that offends me. Okay, well, you, you, then you, it gives you a chance to go back and find out how they're doing and here's why you did what you did and that kind of stuff. So I, I do think it, it brings us back to that principle number four. It provides an opportunity of worship provides an opportunity to demonstrate Christ as Savior and Creator and Savior, and we just keep praying that we can we can help that to happen even in the difficult times. So, well, let's do this. Um, you guys got to beat this group to ice cream. So they're getting loud. Um, you can bang on the wall as you go if you want, but um, hey, thanks for being in here. I hope it was helpful, and uh, have a great rest of the night. Off to the races we go, right? Deal.